this July, it'll be three years since I took my family on a family vacation to Yellowstone National Park. It was just before I started working for Brentwood Baptist. And so I actually wasn't employed. My kids were out of school and I had one of those panicked thoughts as a father, like we should really be maximizing this time. I mean, how often are we going to have an opportunity like this? So we, by which I mean, I made a very quick decision that we were going to go from Nashville, Tennessee, all the way out to Montana. We hadn't planned this far enough in advance that we could get reasonably priced airline tickets. So we drove. I don't know if any of you have ever driven that far, but it is It's a long way. I mean, I want to say this was like three days. It was a lot of time in the car. And as you've gotten to know me, you might have picked up on this idea that I tend to be goal-oriented. That would be be a polite way of talking about my obsessive nature around accomplishing things. So we took a very goal-oriented person who hadn't been working for a few months and was about to start a new job and put him in the car with his family and said, we're going to drive however many... I don't remember how many thousands of miles from Tennessee all the way out, all the way out to Montana. And I'm not in the car for the first tank of gas. And this is what I'm thinking. Like, I'm going to be sitting a lot. How can I maximize this time? Like, we're going to stop every couple hours. We're going to get fast food. We're going to eat stuff that's bad for us. We're going to binge on junk food. I mean, how many combos can you eat out of a package between here and Montana? Probably a lot. I think this trip is going to be bad for my health. So I know what I'll do. This is the solution that I came up with. Um, You can laugh because it's kind of funny. I thought every time we stop the car for gas and we're filling up the car with gas, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do jumping jacks. So I'm going to do jumping jacks, and that's just going to break up the routine of me sitting like a bump for all this time. And then I'm thinking, maybe I could listen to a podcast. Maybe I could listen to an audiobook. How many books could I get done? But every time we would stop the car, my family would pretend like they were with some other car, and I would stand by the gas pump, and I would just do jumping jacks. And because I'm goal-oriented, I actually counted how many I did. I tried to get more done at each, at each stop. And I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit to you, that I actually planned the fuel stop so that I could make the tank as empty as possible so I could get to as high a number as possible. And when I was thinking about this this morning, I thought, you know what? I I thought that I'd actually written down the number in my phone. And I went back and looked. I hadn't. I did track gas mileage because that's the kind of data-driven, goal-oriented, obsessive person that I am. But all the way from Nashville to Montana... Every time we stopped, I would see how many jumping jacks I could do because I'm just that kind of a guy. I also tracked how many states I went on a run in. There were five, five brand new states. I mean, that's just how obsessive I am about tracking things and making sure I maximize time and am very efficient. I mean, I'm a goal-oriented vacationer. We're going to see the thing. It was great. I mean, Yellowstone National Park was beautiful, and I only had to apologize to my family once for overzealousness and the prosecution of my vacation goals. Why do I tell you all that? Just to tell you, just to kind of set up for you the mood in the car when we're out in Wyoming and we have decided the vacation is over. We've met all our objectives. I've checked them all off. And now we're turning the car around to come back to Tennessee. And I put the wrong address in ways. And when I say I put the wrong address, I actually think I put our previous home in Miami. I'm not sure where it is that ways was taking us, but it started to bring us in the wrong direction. And it said we were going to get there in like a much longer period of time than I thought. And Julie and I looked at each other. We said, that doesn't seem right because that's not the way that we came. 
And so we looked back at the GPS and we realized that I had made an error and put in the, the, the wrong destination. Now, can you imagine for this person who's in, um, I, I don't know, Achievements Anonymous, if we'd actually got eight or 10 or 12 hours or a day down the road without realizing that we were headed the wrong direction, what that would have done, what that would have done to me, would have been horrible. You know, if you put in the wrong address, you're probably going to end up in the wrong place. And just this week, I don't know how many of you are AT&T customers, any AT&T customers. All right, so on Thursday, you know that your phone kind of stopped working completely, right? Like it was national news. It was still national news this morning. In fact, this morning, early, I got an email from AT&T telling me that I was getting a credit on my bill because their data wasn't working on Thursday. Now, it just so happens that on Thursday, I was in a meeting with some of our Brentwood Baptist team members. We were at Maryland Farms, which is a place kind of in the northwest part of the business district of, of Brentwood. And there were team members that came in that were almost late, and this is what they said. They said, I was worried I wasn't going to get here on time. Waze was not working on my phone, and I didn't know how to get here. So that's kind of interesting. They had to call the office to get directions to this place that was actually fairly easy to find. But that's not all. This led to a whole discussion in the room, and what I quickly found out was that some people, by which I mean all the young people in the room, had never actually read a map. They didn't have that skill. If I had given them a map to find their way to Maryland Farms, I'm not sure that they could have done it. And that's not the only time I've had problems with GPS. How many of you have ever put an address into Waze and it brought you, I mean, you put the address in right. It wasn't what I did where I was trying to go to Miami instead of Nashville. You put the right address in, but it brought you to the wrong place. Like it just didn't work. I one time spent 15 minutes stalking a McDonald's that turned out to be an undeveloped piece of land, right? So, so there's all kinds of ways that, when we're headed somewhere, it might not work. We might put in the wrong destination. Maybe the system just isn't working. Maybe it's working, but it's wrong. Why is it, why is it we're so dependent on our GPS systems? Why, why, how many of you put in the address of a place that you're going when you know how to get there? Why is it that we do that? We do that because we want to make sure we're headed in the right direction, and we want to know how long it takes. Right, that's, that's all we want to do. We want to know where we're headed, and we want to know how long it's going to take to get there. That's just kind of who we are. It doesn't matter if you're goal-oriented. You just don't want to be in the wrong place. And I think as Christians, or maybe just as, as humans, but especially as followers of God, we have this same tension when it comes to every decision in our life, not just what direction we're driving, but what choices it is that we're going to make. Like, we have choices in our relationships, and we want to make, we want to make good choices. We want to know, hey... Uh, should I date them? Should I dump them? Like, I mean, that's a that's a legitimate it's a legitimate choice. It's a question. We we want an answer to the to the hard questions. What kind of job? What kind of career is it that I should do? How should I manage my finances? Should I should I buy that house? Should I sell that house? Should I rent? What about the car? Should I lease it? Should I buy it? What's what's God's word for me in this situation? And we can become kind of paralyzed with the choices, the amount of choices that are in front of us. And right now, we're, we're a church in transition. And we've got, we've got a lot of choices, right? I mean, there's, there's things that, that we're doing. We're not, we're not entirely sure. Like, we know that things are going to be different. But we're not sure if we should keep doing the same thing that we're doing. Should we change it? Should we start something new? Should we stop doing it? What are we going to do when new people come here? Uh, uh, I mean, it's a lot. And if we're followers of God, 
We want to make sure that we are doing the right things in the right way. So today we're going to take a stab at answering a couple of questions. And these are the questions. What do we do when we don't know what to do? And where do we go when we don't know where to go? Have we all asked these questions? We don't know what to do. What, what do we do when we're just, when we're stuck? And we're going to look at numbers nine. Now, for the last couple of weeks, every other campus in our system has been in Leviticus. And so you, we have had some guest speakers talking about the future of our church. I'm going to be continuing that a little bit today, but you've missed You've missed me getting to preach on Leviticus, and more than one of you has asked, Ken, what kind of visual illustrations did you have to teach about animal sacrifices? And I'm just going to say, I, I, had, I had some great ones planned, but you'll just have to wait for the next time that, we, that you come to hear me teach on Leviticus. And if you feel sad because you missed Leviticus, I'm giving you full permission. I'm not going to be offended. In fact, I would encourage you. We have eight other campuses, and all of those messages on Leviticus are online. You can go watch one of those other pastors and hear what he had to say about Leviticus to his congregation. So no visual illustrations for Leviticus today. And in fact, interestingly... No visual illustrations today at all, because we're going to try something different. Here's what we're going to try. Instead of showing you something, I'm going to ask you to do something. It's going to be very clear when I ask. It's going to be very simple, but I'm not sure how easy it's going to be. It's going to be simple, but it's going to be hard. And before we get there, We're going to look at at the book of Numbers, and we're going to be in chapter 9. I want to set this up a little bit. Uh, Today uh, starts the week of our reading plan. We're actually in Leviticus 9. If you're doing our chronological reading plan, you'll read this either today or tomorrow, depending on where you are in the sequence. And so to kind of set this up, uh, in our, in our, in our passage here, in our chronology, is the Israelites have left Egypt about 13 months ago. They had their first Passover in Egypt. God has delivered them by this series of miraculous plagues, other signs, other wonders. He's let them cross the Red Sea on dry ground. He's closed the Red Sea over the Egyptian army. That was quite a trick. He's been feeding the Israelites in, in, in the wilderness with manna. He's been giving the law to Moses. And they've just celebrated the Passover for the, for the second time. And that's where we pick up in, in Numbers chapter 9. Now, often when we read scripture here, I have you stand up. And I'm going to do that, but not yet, because I want to, we're going to, Too much of this is just me talking. So we're going to try this a different way. There's a few words that appear in this passage over and over. And what we're going to do is we're going to say them together, but we're going to say it by section. So on the right-hand side of of the church over here, you guys are going to be the phrase, set out. So when we get to the phrase, set out, you're going to say it with me. All right, let's practice. Okay, good. Over here, you're camp or camped. Ready? Thank you. All right, and right in the middle, we're command. Okay, command. Command, all right? All right, good. Now, the first verse is kind of a buy. We're not going to do it for the first verse, but I'm going to ask you to stand up. And when it's, all of you stand up, and when it's time, you're going to see it right, right on the screen. And I'm going to start in verse 15. On the day the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, and it appeared like fire above the tabernacle from evening until morning. It remained that way continuously. The cloud would cover it, appearing like fire at night. Get ready. Whenever the cloud was lifted up above the tent, the Israelites would set out. At the place where the cloud stopped, there the Israelites 
camped, and at the Lord's command, the Israelites, and at the Lord's, they, as long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they camped. Good. Even when the cloud stayed over the tabernacle many days, the Israelites carried out the Lord's requirement and did not. Sometimes the cloud remained over the tabernacle for only a few days. They would camp at the Lord's command and set out at the Lord's command. Sometimes the cloud remained only from evening until morning. When the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it remained a day and a night, they moved out when the cloud lifted. Whether it was two days, a month or longer, the Israelites camped and did not set out as long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle. But when it was lifted, they set out. They camped at the Lord's command. They set out at the Lord's command. They carried out the Lord's requirement according to his command through Moses. You guys did great. Go ahead and sit down. Now, why did I have you do that? Because this passage is, like many in Scripture, it's, it's, it's not hard to understand. There's nine verses, and the same thing is basically said eight different times. There's, a, there's this miraculous pillar of cloud and fire over, over the tabernacle, and when it moves, they move, and when it stops, they stop. And we hear it over and over and over again. And just so we're clear, as we've gone through Leviticus, we see, we see the building and the construction of the tabernacle. It was a tent is not quite the right word. It was, it was much more than a tent. But a tabernacle was, was sort of like a mobile temple. We won't see the temple built in Israel for some time. But in this time and in this season, God puts a tabernacle there and his presence comes and fills it. In fact, other places in, in Christian thought, we use the word tabernacle not just as a noun, but as a verb. We say that God tabernacles with his people, that he comes with us and his presence His presence is with us. And we see this amazing thing that as the the cloud lifts up, the Israelites whose eyes are on the cloud, they, they follow it. Now, did they have to follow it? I don't think that they did. They chose to follow it. They didn't have to set out. They could have continued to camp. But every time the cloud moved, they had the opportunity to express obedience to God and to follow it. I I wonder, I'm just kind of curious, do you think that that was easy to do or hard to do? I'm not sure if it was easy or hard. Until this morning, I I was thinking it's probably kind of easy. Because whether it's easy or hard to actually move, it's pretty simple to know when to do it, right? But I sat in on two different small groups this morning. By the way, if you're not coming to one of our life groups in the morning or throughout the week, you're missing out because we have some absolutely incredible Bible teaching going on in this time. If you come just to hear me, you're missing about 90% of what you should be hearing. You should be in one of our groups on Sunday morning. That is an unsolicited plug that is not in my script. You should be in a life group. And I was listening. Uh, I was listening as we were talking about how the Israelites were encamped around the tabernacle and the order in which they would move out and how many of there were, there were. And let me tell you, it was not a, it was, I don't know that it was that easy to do, but to know when to do it and to know what direction they were moving, that was pretty simple, right? Because they didn't do anything until the cloud lifted 
And when the cloud moved, that is the direction that they went. They didn't know when it was going to lift. They didn't know where it would go. All they knew is that they needed to follow the cloud when it went. Now, I think it might have been easy in this respect. They weren't at war. They were being well-fed. And if they didn't move, you know what happened? There's a couple million people, and all the rest of them are moving. You don't want to be the person that's left behind, right? I mean, that's a good name for a series of books, but it's not great if you're in the wilderness, okay? So, so they are following, and wait for it. Here we go. They are following in the ways of God. It'll come to you later. All right. So they're, they're, they're following along. Uh, they didn't know if they were going to be there for a night, two nights, a week, a month. They just knew that when God told them to move, it was time to move. Their entire responsibility was to obey. And no matter how hard it was, I think that there's harder things that are coming for the Israelites in the chapters to come. And God is using these somewhat easier tasks to prepare them to be obedient when the, when the decisions are much more difficult. Which brings us back to our question. What do we do when we don't know what to do? And where do we go when we don't know where to go? And I'm going to say, like the Israelites, just obey. I don't think obedience is complicated. I do think that obedience can be difficult, but those are not the same thing. And I can hear what you're saying with yourself right now. You're saying, hey, Ken, that's great. Except that uh, the Israel- it was pretty clear when God was leading the Israelites, there was this massive cloud and it lifted up and it went and the job was to follow. Fair point. I made a, I made a special effort to check this morning so I could say this with absolute truth and sincerity. When I came into the building this morning, I checked for a miraculous cloud that was staying in one position or a pillar of fire. There were not any here, and I'm pretty sure there's not one over your car right now. So if we're saying the standard of obedience is following God in a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire, how is it the word to do that? That's a pretty good question. For the Israelites, obedience was simple, but it was hard. And for us, I think the same is true. Because we can pick any area of, of, of Christian life, of life in general, where we struggle, and we can look and we can see that obedience is simple, but it's hard. You struggling in a relationship? Struggling to get along with somebody, things aren't working, aren't working well, and you're like, God, what should I do with this relationship? You know what scripture says about your relationship? Very simple. Uh, Jesus said, uh, do unto others what you would have them do to you. You concerned about your tongue and the way that you speak of other people that you're in relationship with? We have verse after verse after verse of scripture that tells us that our tongues can be an instrument of life or an instrument of destruction and of death. How hard is it to know what God wants us to do in relationships? It's really not that difficult. It's simple. It's just difficult to do it. Philippians chapter 2. If you you want to have unity in relationships, have humility. That's what we've been praying about all this week as a church family and what Pastor Aaron spoke about last week. If you want to have good, high-quality relationships, approach them with humility. Your relationship and your name are not in here specifically, but God's will for you as it relates to obedience and relationships is all through the entire counsel of Scripture. Do you know that as clear as it was for the Israelites to be able to follow a cloud, we have something that they don't have? The Israelites didn't have Numbers chapter 9 because they were writing it for us. Do you know that in Romans 15, Paul writes, this is so interesting, he says that everything that happened in the past, everything that happened in the past was for our benefit. It was written down for our benefit. 
The Israelites had a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, but you know what they didn't have? They didn't have a record of God's faithfulness to their own nation because that had yet to be written. They didn't have Jesus coming, and and they could only look forward to that, didn't even fully understand it. They'd had the law for less than a year. They didn't have the New Testament writings, the instructions of Paul and the other men that wrote the New Testament. All they had was a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to follow. We have the entire counsel of Scripture, including their own example. Obedience is not, is not hard to understand. It's just hard to do. Struggling in a relationship? Just obey. I've read all through Scripture. How many of you, when you were in high school, you took one of those career aptitude tests and they told you what kind of job it is that you were supposed to have? Did anybody do that? Or like you go in the military and they give you an aptitude? How many of you are actually doing that job? None of us. If you ask me after the service, I scored perfectly for two careers on the ASVAB in high school, and I'll tell you what they were because they're only indirectly related to what I do for a living. It's kind of an interesting story. I'll tell you later. Scripture does, is, not a, is not a career aptitude test, but you know what's all through Scripture? All through Scripture, how to be a good worker, the importance of work. Colossians says that we're to do our work is unto the Lord. There's a strong admonition to bosses in Scripture to treat their employees well. We're told in Scripture to be diligent. The best employees, the best workers in the world should be Christians because work is holy and God gives it to us to do. We should be amazing at it. First Timothy chapter 5, it tells us that we, we're to work enough to provide for our families. If we don't work and provide for our families, Scripture tells us we're worse than an unbeliever. Like, I mean, there's a lot, there is a lot in Scripture about, about our work. Maybe not the specific job. Maybe not that. But enough that it should help us. And if we get the small things right, if we just obey, the bigger things eventually come into focus. How many of you, like me, like when you're, when you're thinking about getting married, you wanted an email from God. You're like, I would like an email from God telling me this is the person and this is the time. And, and, and come on, let's get a move on, right? I mean, getting married is a big decision. It's a big decision to ask and it's a big decision to respond. And it's hard. Do you know that I'm not entirely sure I'm a proponent of the scripture, of the, many of the ways I f- of finding a spouse that I find in scripture. Like, we, we're not even going to go there this morning. But here is, here's what I am a fan of. Scripture doesn't tell us who to marry, but it sure tells us how to be married. You want to have a good marriage? Just obey. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wife, honor your husbands. Let's create an environment of mutual respect and submission so that we can have the marriage that God wants for us, an image of Christ in the church. Wrestling with a financial decision, just obey. Hey, I'm the stewardship minister in my, in my other life. I'm all about finances and spiritual decisions. I don't know that God's going to tell you which house to buy, but I do know that there's biblical principles all throughout Scripture that tell us the right way and the wrong way to manage money and what will happen if we do something and what will happen if we do the other thing. Just obey. I have people argue with me all the time about giving. They talk about tithing. They talk about Old Testament and New Testament. And they say, well, tithing is the Old Testament. I mean, we just went through Leviticus and tithing looked like you bringing a bull to the altar and killing it. We were not going to do that the last couple of weeks, just to be clear. But I mean, there's a lot about giving. We're like, oh, that's so, 
so confusing. I'm really not sure what to do with giving. I'm not sure what to do with my finances. You know what's not confusing, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament? You know what the first financial priority of every God follower is? The first financial priority is generosity. It's giving. Just obey. Just obey. It's not easy. It's not easy, but it's simple. And so if you're struggling, I'm just going to ask this this question. When the word of God tells us what his will is, why is it that we struggle? Take a look at what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is the Apostle Paul writing. It actually tells us this is the will of God. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, don't quench the spirit. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. That's God's will for you. Just obey it. One chapter before. It's God's will that you should avoid sexual immorality. Because it's not fun? No, because it's not good for you. I'm a big Big fan of simple things. And obedience at its root is a very, very simple idea. The Israelites had their eyes on the cloud. Their only job was to watch when it lifted up and follow it if it moved. And all throughout Scripture and all throughout our lives, I think we make some things so much more complicated than they are when really it's as simple as just obeying those things which God has made clear. Now, we know as, a, as the family at the church at Woodbine that we're in a season of transition. And I don't know about you, but I mean, I've only been here since the beginning of the year and I kind of get a little whiplash sometimes with things just sort of happening. And that's normal in this kind of a season. It's totally normal. And we've had the last couple of weeks, some other men from our system of churches that have come here and they've talked about what's next. I was so excited to have Pastor Aaron here last week. I don't know if you all were as blessed by his message as I was. And my family was privileged to have lunch with the Bryant family after church. And you know, that man's heart and the heart of our Brentwood Baptist system is for the congregation of Woodbine. Like we're for you. We want good things to happen here. And if you were here, he talked about a couple things that are going on here were the two big pieces, and I'm going to say them again because I want you to hear them in case you weren't here, and I want to remind you in case you were. Uh, he said that we have a pastoral search team, and I think they've already started meeting. They're looking, they're looking for a pastor. They're determining what is, what, who's the man that God has been preparing for this position who's going to come and preach because I'm just temporary. Okay, So we've, we've, you give me a little bit of grace and give that man a lot of prayer. Okay, he's, he's, he's coming. He's on his way. We don't know who he is. We don't know when he's coming. Uh, we just don't know. Like the Israelites. The Israelites were, they didn't know if they were going to stay a day, a month, or sometimes even more. We don't know when he's coming. And the other thing he said, I found this so, so encouraging, was we're going to ask people from other campuses to come join us at Woodbine as we work on renewing and relaunching the work that we're doing here. What an exciting time to be part of this church. I mean, I don't know if you, I left Sunday morning so encouraged. And then I started to think, uh, hey, what happens when that actually happens? 
Like it's really neat to sort of think about that and say, oh, it'll it'll be kind of fun. But can I paint a picture for you? So the man that comes to pastor this church, it'll be his first week here. And for some of us, we've been we've been here eight and a half years or longer. Do you think that's going to be hard? I think it's going to be hard for him. I mean, what if what if he wants to take us in a direction that isn't maybe exactly like the other thing that we used to do? Would that would that be okay? Would it be all right? What if he wants to what if he wants us to stop doing something that we really like because there's a different way we can focus our energy? It's a more effective way to reach our community. Would that be okay? I mean, I want to think it would be okay. But it's hard. Those kinds of changes are simple, but they're not they're not easy. We need to pray for that guy because he's going to have less history with us than we have with each other. And anytime you've tried to come into a new group, a new social situation, whether it's a small group or a church or something at work, there's stories, there's history, there's things that that you'll have that he doesn't. And we're going to have to be willing and ready to follow his leading. The Israelites practiced what was coming for them in the future by following God's leading in a very simple way. And we're going to have to do the same thing. There's like there's thousands, thousands of people at all of our Brentwood campuses on any given Sunday. If even just 20 or 50 or 100 of them came to church here, have you given any thought to what that would, how that would actually impact us? I mean, I'm excited about it. And there's some challenges. Let me give you a couple. Let me, just, let me give you a couple just to think about, because in a minute, we're going to practice something. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll see if I'm here next week. Okay. Uh, but I've noticed something about people that visit a church. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm just going just gonna to put this out there for you to think about. When you visit a church for the first time, you're almost always early, right? You're almost always early. And the reason that you're early is because maybe you're not sure how long it t- took you to get to the church You're not sure where things are. How far away are you going to park? Is it going to be easy? Is it going to be hard? If I have kids to check in, what's that system going to look like? Am I going to have to sign away my life? Actually, am I going to look at the kids' area and like, am I going to want to leave my kid there? There's all these questions, right, when you're visiting a church for the first time. So I have noticed that whenever you visit a church for the first time, like you're there early. In fact, my wife and I had a great experience some years ago. We had just started at a new church, the church we were part of in Miami, and I served. And we went to a small group uh, for the first time. Miami, as you know, is a largely Hispanic city. There are many cultures in the world that has, have a reputation for being on time or obsessively early. Uh, Hispanic culture is not one of those cultures. Everybody in Hispanic culture tends to be there late or slightly after that. So we went and I, uh, I'm the goal oriented, obsessive, get there on time or early kind of person. So the small group was at five. And just to be safe, I think we got there about three fifteen. but whatever time it was, whatever time it was, we pulled up to the house of this small group with people who ended up becoming dear friends and they opened the door and they weren't expecting anyone. We were there maybe 10, maybe 15 minutes before it started. Everybody else got there 30 minutes later. Now, did that bother us? Not so much. We're pretty experienced church people. Could it be really off-putting to somebody who's new to a congregation? I think it could. So the jury's out for me on whether this is a congregation that tends to be on time, tends to be late, or tends to be early. Here's what I'm going to say. If you're expecting a guest, 
Don't let that guest beat you to your front door. This is not easy, but it's simple. It's hard to get up that extra five or 10 minutes. I didn't understand how hard that was until we had kids. I never understood why people didn't get to church early until we had a family. It's much, it's much harder to move four people than just one or just two. If we want to be welcoming to guests, hey, you know what? Let's be here when they show up. I'm not saying that that's the case with this congregation. I'm saying as we move into this new era, we want to double down on our commitment to make people feel welcome. And I'll remind you again that of all the nine campuses that we have, and I go to all of them, this is by far the most welcoming. Let's keep it up. Then they're going to come in and we're going to say, you know what? Hey, you should join a small group. And we're going to invite them to join a small group. Well, I don't remember how many small groups we have here, but it's not that many. But we want to put people in life groups. So we're going to ask them to join a life group. We have some really quality teaching going on in our life groups. I mean, it's amazing. The problem is that as soon as we start trying to find places for 20 or 50 or 100 people, guess what we're going to run out of? Space and leaders. Now, in many cases, our groups have been together for years, and we're pretty comfortable being together. How, how easy is it going to be for us to welcome people in that change up the relationship dynamics? Maybe you're a person that's in one of these groups, and God's been tugging on your heart like, hey, I, maybe, I should be leading, maybe I should be leading my own group. Maybe you should. Just obey. I mean, this is, this is not hard. The blocking and tackling of gospel in a ministry is really not that overwhelmingly difficult. We don't want to be camped in one place. We want to set out when it's time to move. And, and this is the one, this is the one that I'm just, I'm really, I actually am concerned about this for us because here's, here's what happens. What I've noticed every time a new person visits a church is that they come into the congregation, they come into the, the church and then they sit down, right? Cause that's what we all do. We kind of come in and we camp out on our seat so we, I mean, we don't have a cooler, but we'll put like a jacket or something there just so people know that that one is the seat that belongs to us. Okay, but the problem is that the new people are here before many of us are here. And that means they might be in your seat. What would we do? I mean, what would we do if a new person took our seat? It says in Numbers 9 that, that they, were, they were at each campsite a minimum of one night, but sometimes longer than a month. We were talking in our pre-service huddle. Uh, we had a staff member here say, I have been in the same seat at this church for eight and a half years, which means that you, you're in that seat longer than the Israelites were ever in one place prior to entering into the promised land. I mean, like we are going to grow. We're, we should have our name on it. But I tell you what, if we want to be welcoming to people, if we want to have new folks come here, if we really want them to be comfortable, how flexible are we willing to be? Are we willing to follow the leading of a new pastor? Are we willing to, uh, to shoot some sacred cows? Are we willing to change up the dynamics in our life groups that are really important to us, and in se- but in seasons they change? Are we willing to maybe try sitting in a different seat in the auditorium? And I told you at the beginning that I was going to ask you to do something. And I said it was going to be simple, but maybe hard. And you can kind of see where this is going. Because just in a minute, I'm going to ask you to get up and change your seat. Because every week when I come up here, I look out. And for the most part, we're pretty much in the same seats that we're always in. 
Now, I know that there's that there could be reasons for that. Maybe you need to be close to the stage because you're in the band. Maybe you want to be close to the bathroom or you got like a baby that you might have to rock. I get that there might be preferences. And at the same time, I wonder how much of those preferences have become habits. And if we're really willing to be flexible into the future, could we express our willingness to just obey by changing seats? Full disclosure, when my family worships at the campus where we normally are, when I'm not privileged enough to be with you, we pretty much always sit in the same row. And if somebody's sitting in that row when we get there, sometimes we give each other a look that says, clearly, clearly they didn't know that that was our spot. God will, God will work on us. And in this season, we are going to practice doing something different. So I understand some of you may not be physically that easy to move around, but I'm going to ask Hunter to play some music. I want everybody to move, not just like shift over, but actually pick a different section and maybe a different row. Just to let you know, the sermon's going to be the same. The music is the same and everybody in here likes you already. Okay. So Hunter, hit it for me. Okay, about 10 more seconds. All right, guys, how does it feel? Feel a little different? Some of us are on our new seat for the first time in eight and a half years. Give yourselves a hand. I mean, you know. We are taking a small step to be ready to be obedient in simple ways. Numbers 9 is about people of God learning to be obedient to God in a season of transition. What do we do when we don't know what to do? Where do we go when we don't know where to go? Just obey. People of Israel were in the wilderness in a place they'd never been. Not one person, as far as I understand the text, not one person out of the millions that were there had ever been to the place that God was going to lead them to. They were never lost. They were just obedient. Obedient. 